0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on SlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby-Friendland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC has finally given us a much-needed break from all the crazy action. Poirier versus Hooker was absolutely insane. We got Fight Island coming up. And this week in between, even though there's not a UFC fight card, there is some exciting MMA action. Invicta 40 takes place, and we're going to be talking to two of the fighters on that card. First, I'll be talking to Alicia Zapatella, who is fighting Lindsay Van Zandt, who is actually our second guest. That fight's going to take place in the Atomweight division, which actually spurred mine and Shockwave Dave's discussion afterwards about adding a division. And, and there's three or sometimes even more divisions that the UFC is talking about adding. And we're going to break down what we think about those. And we're going to get all that great content right now. This is Daniel Gumby-Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Alicia Zapatella, who fights at Invicta 40 against Lindsey Van Zandt this upcoming Thursday. So, uh, Alicia, we're taping this on Saturday afternoon. We're about to see a UFC event that it features the last Invicta Atomweight Champion moving up to strawweight. I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on how long, or whether or not you expect there to be an atomweight division in the UFC.
1: Um, well, I've really been pushing for one. I would love to see an atomweight um, division in the UFC in sometime in the next year or so. Maybe give me time to win that Invicta belt and then hopefully take. All of the best atom weights in the world up to the UFC. But if I'm being honest, it, I feel like it's been pushed for so long now that I, I don't really know if the UFC is actually going to even consider getting an atom weight division.
0: And obviously, you just mentioned the time being part of the reason why you don't think there might be one. But is there another reason why you don't think the, the UFC is, is keen on the 105 division?
1: I have no idea. I know that Dana is huge into attractive girls that sell a lot of, that sell a lot of, um, tickets. And, uh, there's a lot of attractive girls in the Adam weight division. And also we're small girls who we just go at it. And if you look at the flyweight division, it's on its come up for the, for the men, um, that's 125, right?
0: Yeah, that's 125.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. cool. Um, so the, the Flyweight division has, has been, um, like, I, I know that they were thinking about cutting it, but then since then, like, they've saved it, and people are bigger fans of it than they ever were. And I think the weights are just nonstop action. So um, it'd be really nice to see it. And also, when I was over at Ryzen... Um, the owner of ryzen was directly comparing them to the ufc so i think that in order to actually do that we need all of the weight classes
0: absolutely and and is there a a way or a, a way that you feel that you can showcase the adam weights better in order to get maybe dana white to buy into that concept
1: um i think that if i just keep continuing to build my fan base get a big momentum behind me and then also get a couple finishes under my belt, I think that, uh, that'll probably speak volumes.
0: And, and you mentioned the Invicta Adam weight belt before too. I, I do want to ask that. Is that a goal before you would move on to the UFC? Like, would you obviously want to hit that before you even thought about the UFC?
1: Oh, it's completely a goal. Um, I would love to, to get the Adam weight title and then go up to the UFC. But if the UFC got um, an Adam weight division before I got the chance to fight for the title
0: then I'd go up interesting and, and out of curiosity like we just said before there is a, a Adam weight in the UFC with you know Jin Frey as well as Michelle Waterson both of them fighting at 115. now obviously you're quite a bit shorter than them you're one of the, the shorter fighters even in Invicta would you have trouble going up to 115 or would you even consider that?
1: If I got the call, I would go up. I mean, I think that everybody has their shot, and sometimes you only get one shot. So if Dana called and he wanted me to fight Jin or um, Michelle, or hell, I would love to fight Carlos Sparza. Um, if, if I got that fight, I'd go up.
0: And, and you said Carlos Sparza there. I know you also have a wrestling background. Is that sort of the reason why you like a, a possible fight with Carlos Sparza?
1: Definitely. There's, it's not that often that you see two women wrestlers fighting or two wrestlers in general. So, um, getting to showcase that, I think that'd be really cool. And I think that it would, uh, it would get a lot of fans. And
0: and I was going to ask you too, being somebody that is a wrestler and and who has wrestled so much before, what are your thoughts on sort of the progression of women's wrestling in the NCAAs? I know that they recently got division one status possibly. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I am so excited for the women that are um, pursuing, pursuing college and um, pursuing being college athletes. I'm actually very jealous. Um, I think that that might have pushed me to stay in college if I would have been able to be a D1 athlete.
0: Interesting. So uh, obviously wrestling being a big part of your life, did you feel at a certain point that you like had to make the transition to MMA, like it was almost forced?
1: Um, no, I, I never felt like I had to. Um, it was brought up to me as a, as a young child from, um, I actually met, um, Tomio. He used, he used to help coach and his sister, um, was, was in the Olympics, Aaron Tomio. Um, so I met him at a young age and he brought it to my attention that I could be in the Olympics before that. I never even thought about it. I started wrestling when I was five years old. Um, I, I never really felt pressured, but I always watched fighting, on TV. And I was like, if these girls just had wrestling, they'd be so much better. And I knew that, that I would excel in fighting. So once I figured out that college wasn't really for me, I tried out, um, some MMA and I was absolutely
0: hooked. Interesting. Interesting. So your MMA training started just about in college or had you been doing some training with it before then?
1: Um, I dabbled with it in probably the last semester of school that I ever um, attended, and I kind of just dropped out. I got a job and I supported myself, and decided that I was going to put everything that I had into MMA. And now it has kind of guided me into a lot bigger goals surrounding MMA.
0: That's that's interesting. Now I'm curious too. You know, being you know somebody who's a little bit smaller in stature. In the wrestling world and in the MMA world, were, were you ever looked down upon about that, or were were you ever maybe you know people surprised that you were in MMA or in wrestling?
1: Um, people are always surprised that I'm that I'm an MMA fighter. Um, you see me out and about, I don't look like an MMA fighter. Um, but I would say with wrestling, being shorter is a huge advantage. People with long legs, they're all legs. You can shoot on them all day. Um, like it's just impossible for somebody who's so much taller than me to have the same amount of muscle as I have and make the same weight that I make. So I think that it really kind of, it helps me out in both MMA and in wrestling.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about this upcoming MMA fight too, because that is what brought us here. You're fighting Lindsay Van Zandt and Invicta 40. Do you see the wrestling being the major difference in this fight?
1: Um, I definitely see my wrestling and my grappling being a major difference. Um, I am a purple belt in jujitsu. I am very close to my brown belt and I've been working so hard for it, but, um, I have a very unique style. And if you've never faced anybody before that can mix their wrestling with their um, jujitsu the way that I do, it is a huge, huge shock. Like it, it's just different. The way that I flow them together is going to it, its going to play a huge part in this.
0: Now, I've talked to some wrestlers recently who made the shift to doing jiu-jitsu and focusing on jiu-jitsu as well. And, and they've sort of given me the the ins and outs of why their style transitioned so well to jiu-jitsu. Why do you feel like your style transitioned so well to jiu-jitsu?
1: Um, well, in wrestling, I would get in there and I would pin Everybody, And there's not a single girl that can stop me from pinning them. So if I if I mix my 20 years of wrestling with my jujitsu knowledge. So um, a couple of years ago, I tried to focus on just jujitsu. I wanted to learn just the art of jujitsu. And now it's evolved to the f- to the point where I can mix my wrestling style with with my jujitsu style and it works beautifully. Like I throw halves all the time. So I, I throw cradles all the time and I'm I'm I don't know, it just it matches so well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that that's great to hear. Now it's interesting that you said that you, you learned jujitsu almost separately from wrestling. Did you feel like you had to take a step away from wrestling to really focus on jujitsu. Yeah.
1: Um I really wanted to to I I see so many fighters just wrestle smashing and I feel like if they could take a step back step outside of the wrestler mindset for just a little while and focus on the art of jiu-jitsu and learn that and then learn to mix them together it's completely different because um just wrestle smashing you're gonna put yourself in some bad situations so you need you need to learn both
0: of them and, and did you do that in a gi or was it primarily no gi? I, I don't even own a
1: gi. <laughs> um, I only do no gi.
0: <laughs> no shame there. Same with me. So, um, <laughs> l- let's get back to the fight. So you're fighting Vance and you said you think that the idea here is that your your wrestling and your grappling put together is just too much for it. How do you see this fight ending? If you could give us a prediction before we let you go.
1: Um, I see this fight ending in brutal fashion. I have completely evolved as a person and as a fighter. I'm going to take her down relentlessly. I don't care if she gets up. I will take her down again. And I'm going to get on top of her. I'm going to pass her guard. And I'm going to elbow her in the face until either the ref stops me or
0: a submission opens up. Well, I love to hear it, and you heard it here first, folks. This was Alicia Zappaletta, who fights at Invicta 40 against Lindsey Van Zandt this upcoming Thursday. Alicia, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. In that interview with Alicia Zappatella is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you train jiu-jitsu, judo, sambo, or kickboxing, It does not matter. Head on over to Maroon Social, download the app, start tracking your training sessions, writing yourself notes, logging your competitions, and all kinds of other great features. It is a one-stop shop for staying on top of your training. Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. This is Daniel Gumby, bringing with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Lindsey Van Zant, who fights Alicia Zapatella at Invicta 40 this upcoming Thursday. So, uh, Alicia, I actually wanted to talk to you first about something that's happening in MMA right now, something that is a hot topic, and, and that's when corners call fights. Because I know in the past, you've had a fight that your corner came in and stopped. Uh, and a, a lot of controversy has been going on about that. What, what are your sort of thoughts about cornermen stopping fights and the situation that happened recently with Max Roshkoff? Damn,
2: you're asking a hard
0: <laughs> question
2: right off the bat, man. You didn't even give me a chance to warm up or nothing. <laughs> At me. Jeez. Um, yeah, no, it's been a big uh, big topic lately. Um, It's hard. It's always hard, and, like, every situation is different. So, you know, like, for me, I... You know, obviously, like, no fighter really wants to fighter to stop the fight. In the last case, obviously, he wanted his coach to stop the fight. But, you know, I I see both sides of the story there because he mentally was having a breakdown in that moment and didn't want to go back out there. But as a coach, he knew that, like, he just needed that push. So it's hard. And then when do you say, okay, you give in and you let the fighter choose? But, like, at the end of the day, the fighter did choose and he didn't go back out. But it's, like, it's hard. It's a hard situation because – he knows how hard he's worked and how he's gonna regret it after. So it's it's tough. It's tough. So you
0: in know? the in the situation for you, was it tough to have that decision sort of taken out of your hands, or or did you respect what your coach thought?
2: Um. Yeah, it was tough. That was a tough uh, a tough thing for me. I I really honestly didn't even know that he stopped the fight at first. Like I didn't really know what happened. I felt like it was stopped early. Obviously, I was upset about it, but I didn't. You know, like. It, whatever was done is done. I can't go back and change it. You know, I can dwell on it for the rest of my life if I wanted to, but why? I know how I performed. I know I, it was a, it was a close fight. and for went to decision, it could have gone either way. So, I mean, it sucks that I didn't get to see what the judges actually thought. Um, Cause there's only like 15, 20 seconds left, but um, you know, obviously I, I didn't agree with it, but you know, it's, it's hard being a coach and i I, I never got mad at my coach for doing that. It's just, you know, what it is what it is. You gotta just things happen out there. Everything happens so fast. So it's hard to, to really blame pe- people, the coaches, the fighters in those in those uh places because it's so fast. Everything happens so fast out there. So I, I'm not gonna hand anybody or any coach or fighter in those situations because it's a fast moving floor, and you have to make like split decision like split second decisions and so it's like I, you know, they're just doing the best they can.
0: So Makes a lot of sense. And obviously that also made it a one, one split between you and Reina. Is that a fight you would like to even out and, and get the tiebreaker fight down the road? Or is that something that you're just completely putting behind you?
2: I mean, come on, man, what do you think? <laughs> of course I want that fight. I know, uh, you know, I beat her fair and square in the first fucking round or the first fight. So, I mean, does she really deserve a rematch? Nah, but I give it to her. Yeah. So definitely I want that fight back. Um, but like like you said, you know, um, you know, it just depends on the day, depends on the fighter. Like it's a good matchup for me regardless, and that's why I still took it. It's still like she's a tough girl, and um, it's also going up in weight for me as well. And so it's a challenge, and like, and then going to Japan was a challenge too. Like I've never been out of the country to fight and stuff, so it was just a really good experience for me overall, and I don't regret it at all. I mean, a loss is a loss, but it's just you know, it's you know, you learn from it and you get better. So I won't be. I, you're not going to grow as a fighter if you don't lose as much, but I mean, this fighter's out there that's still growing and they're killing it. So I don't know. But in my opinion, like I've lost, i when I lose, I, I learn a lot that myself and I grow. So
0: <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Now you, you mentioned that that was up a weight class for you in 115. It's is obviously, you know, 10 pounds, especially when you're small is a lot of weight. Do you feel like one Oh five is a place where you have to be in order to be super competitive? Or do you feel like you can fluctuate between those two?
2: I mean, I think 105 is definitely my weight class. I mean, I walk around at 112 when I'm training, so it's it's a very easy weight class for me. I mean, like I'm still eating basically. I could I could really, in theory, eat whatever I want right now. I mean, obviously, i I like being good and like healthy and feel good, so I don't like. But I can go have a Snickers ice cream bar right now and still make five on those, like on Wednesday. You know, like I could do that if I wanted to, but um, I don't. But um, yeah, I mean. Going up in weight is—it's just like—is—is is it? It depends on if it's worth it or not uh, for who I'm fighting, how much money I'm making, and stuff. Because I mean, strength does come into play, like. But you know, if you have technique, technique beats beats the strength all, all the time. So, um, if I feel confident in my skills, I'm getting better and better. I mean, if the, if the fight is right, I'll move up. So.
0: And, and so, obviously, with that fight being the right fight in order to move up, Reina made a lot of sense. What is another situation that would warrant you going up to 115, or are there very few of them?
2: Um, because you know the small 115 oz and those big old 115 oz. I mean, Veda was probably like in the middle. Um, but some girls cut a lot of weight to get to 115. I mean, I know I know girls that cut from like 145, 1 th- like 140, you know, to get to 115. I mean, in that case, like that's a huge, huge weight advantage for me, you know, for them uh, against me. So it would depend on like throw a smaller like a small 115-0 or not, like Angela Hill is a smaller 115 all. you know, like that fight would make sense, I mean, she'd kill me right now but uh, if I woke my way up, maybe one day <laughs> um, she's, she's, she's a dope girl, I'm always waiting for her, Angela I love her, um, but yeah, it just depends on the size of the girl um, that was not a call out to Angela but I was just throwing the fourth person who popped into my head that was a smaller 115 like Tisha Torres again, love her, not calling her out <laughs> but she is A smaller 115. So, like, those kind of fights I would move up for because they're smaller. They're not, like, they're not cutting tons of weight to get to 115. So, it just depends, you know, on the the fighter and, like, how much weight they're cutting.
0: (laughs) So, it sounds like your goal in in all of this sounds like the UFC. You, You know, you mentioned a lot of women who have UFC names. Or are those just, you know, the points of comparison you feel like we would all know?
2: Just the points of comparison that everybody knows. And they all just recently fought, so... But, like, like, Claudia Gaudet, I'll give you another example. Claudia Gaudet, I've trained with her before. She she cuts a lot of weight to make me. She's a big girl. I'm sport against So And I'm like, she would fucking kill me. <laughs> like, the weight is just, there's no, you know, it's just you can't. it's That's why there's weight classes. <laughs> like, you know, so it just depends on the weight.
0: So so let's talk about the fight you got coming up because the, the woman you're fighting is small, probably even smaller than you and Alicia Zapatella. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you see that fight going.
2: Um, yeah, she's, she's, um, I've only, I've only fought one other girl, um, B-Win, um, that was a little shorter than me, and that was, uh, different for me to punch down, so it was cool. Um, I actually broke my hand in that fight, because I hit her on the forehead, and not the, uh, chin, or, like, a softer spot of the face, and broke my hand, so I love my lesson there, but, um, but yeah, so Alicia's short, too, she's, like, 4'11", or something like that, but she's a wrestler, and so I know, and she's tough, um, it was cool, actually, my, um, Mental Coach Bob from Mindsport, I was talking this morning, and he put it the best way. She's like a bull. She's just going to keep coming at you, and she's going to try to spear with your horns, and I'm like the matador, and I'll be like, come over here, come over here, and I'm going to lead her. And usually, like, you know, 95% of the time, the matador is, is wins, you know? But then there's like that 5% of the time, the matador gets fucking killed with the horns, you know what I'm saying? So, I gotta be careful. She's a tough fighter, but um, I'm technically better everywhere, so if I just fight my fight, I don't think I... I'm going to have a problem winning.
0: So did you do anything in particular to help you with that size disparity or to, to help you be maybe a little bit more of the matador in training? Um,
2: you know, I already have pretty good footwork, but obviously we worked on more footwork stuff, um, you know, defending takedowns. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. But, yeah, just I just basically tightened up my game, just, you know, found little holes that I fixed up. I always try to focus on myself and um, try to see what they might try to um attack like my weaknesses. So I try to always make my weaknesses stronger so when I do try to attack them they're like, "Oh shit, we thought she's going to be weak here and she's not." So that's what I always try to do. I try to think of like what their game plan would be um and I try to fix that so that if they do have that game plan they are still fucked. <laughs>
0: So, like you said, she's she's got a pretty clear game plan here. So, I, I always ask at the end of an interview, no matter what, for you to give me a prediction. So, she goes in there with that game plan. You're obviously there to counter it. How do you see this fight going down?
2: I, I definitely see myself uh, finishing the fight. I mean, she's a decision fighter, and I'm just going to finish it before she makes it to decision. So, um, she, doesn't, she hasn't won any of her fights by submission or anything like that. She doesn't really ground and pound. So, I don't see how she thinks she's going to win the fight other than decision. Um... Hey, you never know. She could be working on her power. She could be working on her ground pound. I don't know. But um, if I go in there being the best me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat her on the first or second round.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Lindsay Van Zant who fights Alicia Zapatella this upcoming Thursday at Invicta 40. Thank you so much for the time, Lindsay. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day.
0: And that interview with Lindsay Van Zant is brought to you by Battle Clan Gear. Visit BattleclanGear.com and make sure to use promo code TURTLEUP10. That's T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-10 for 10% off all of your grappling needs. You're probably heading back to the gym sometime pretty soon and you're going to want to do so with some fresh duds. And the best place to do that is Battle Clan Gear. Because not only does their stuff look great, it feels great. And hey, if we're heading back to the gym and trying to get back in shape, you want to make sure that you've got some great feeling grappling gear on. So head on over battleplanegear.com. Now, once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I'm joined with my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonti. Dave, it's really great to see some of these smaller promotions like Invicta finally get going too. Am I right? You know,
3: I for one think it's awesome because the UFC has really embraced both promotions. And now I feel like when a UFC fighter is making his or her debut – And they come from Invicta or LFA, uh, you know, it's very possible that someone might have seen them on the UFC Fight Pass app uh, or just have heard of them because these two promotions are getting so much more hype than they did, let's say, you know, five and especially 10 years prior.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, too, we're seeing a lot of the results of them getting that high-level competition, right? We we just saw Kay Hansen this past weekend. She's 20 years old, but because she's had so much high-level experience fighting in Invicta and getting, you know, the best women who are not in the UFC are in Invicta. So getting all of that exposure and getting all of that, that you know, tough fights allowed her to have that level of skill because that submission was absolutely bonkers. So, um, yeah, it, it's great to see that Invicta is back. Um, which actually brought us to what we wanted to talk about a little bit today. So I, I threw it up on our poll on uh, our Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. You can check it out there. Uh, I had a two-part poll where we talked about what division you would like to see added to the UFC the most and also which one you thought the UFC would be most likely to add. So the three choices are Adam Waite, which, you know, obviously both of our guests this week are Adam Waite's, as well as Kay Hansen's opponent, Jin Yu Frey, is the former Adam Waite champ. I mean, Michelle Watterson's the former Adam White Champ. Jessica Penney's the former Adam White Champ. Lots of Adam Weights in the UFC now. Uh, so so that as a possibility. Also, obviously, there has been tons of talk about adding a 165 pound division, whatever you want to call it. I've decided to call it Junior Welter Weight. And then also, you know, a lot of states have sanctioned, uh, a cruiser weight, which is 235. Some, some people do 230, but a lot of different states have sanctioned that as an actual weight class right in between light heavyweight and heavyweight. And I want to get your reaction to this, Dave. So I put this poll up, and the poll lasted a couple of days, got quite a few votes on it. Which division do you think people want to see the most?
3: Um, I would assume uh, it's going to be of the heavier weight variety. So I think you get into some murkiness with... I think 165 is the answer, but then a question becomes about what you do with 170 because I think five pound difference is is too much or too little, I should say. So then you'd obviously probably move welterweight to 175, but that's another story for another day. Uh, I would say people want to see the heavyweight division split in two and, and you'd add a cruiserweight of 230.
0: Yeah, I, you you were right with your initial instinct there. They want to see that junior welterweight division, and it was overwhelming. There's like 65% of the people wanted to see that. But yeah, for, for me, and I don't know about for you, I, I think that logistical nightmare of trying to figure out what you do with welterweight, what you do with the welterweight champ, you know, all of that kind of stuff, I think that's a logistical nightmare. I, I, for one, am not interested in 65 at all. How about you?
3: I'm very interested in it. I don't think it's that much of a logistical nightmare, actually, because I think you just let the 170-pound champion become the 175-pound champion. And uh, I I just think every 10 pounds makes a ton of sense. You'd have a division every 10 pounds from 125 to 185, and then you'd obviously have that jump of 185 to 205. But there are less people walking around this earth that are over 200 pounds. You're putting a division every 10 pounds – when the average human being, you know, kind of lies, and especially an athlete, is going to lie somewhere in that 170 range anyway. So it's giving an extra option there. I think the jump from 155 to 170 is too much. And I guess now that you say it, I'm not surprised people pick that because, you know, there are four or five of the most popular fighters in the UFC right now could fight at 165. You know, Nate Diaz is not a 170-er, but he's probably a little too long and lanky to be 155. He'd be perfect for 165. I think Connor has said his most comfortable weight would be 165. Khabib probably cuts a little too much weight to make 155. I'd like to see Justin Gaethje at 165. Tony Ferguson could be 165. Uh, That would be a very exciting division. And then you'd have some of the smaller uh, guys at welterweight that could just kind of settle there.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to something you said too, because you said just give the title to the guy, uh, who is the 170 champ, the 175 title. I think that that is a possibility, but I also think you probably open up the possibility of having to just give them the 65 pound title, right? Because if, say, Gilbert Burns goes out here and smokes Kamara Usman this upcoming weekend, not this next weekend, but the weekend after, he is not a guy who's going to go up five more pounds. He used to fight at lightweight, for Christ's sake. So, like, yeah I, I guess you could just give the 70 champ you know the five pounds up or five t- pounds down and sort of give them their choice but then, then you're also asking yourself too though is you know is a guy five pounds heavier still champ material you know like, and not that that's like a, a huge jump but like Gilbert Burns if you told him he had to be the 75 pound champ man is he starting to give up a lot of size like somebody like you know some of the bigger guys at 85 could probably cut 10 more and wind up in that division as well. I, I think that maybe picking the, the championship is is probably the way to go. But I, for one, would much rather see a division like Adam weight, which, by the way, if you're looking at our poll, got the worst percentage. It got 11 percent. And to me, that's crazy because it's not even... It's not even tearing apart UFC divisions. It would just be adding this whole other group of really talented women that already exist out there. You know, we I talked to Alicia Zapatella earlier on the show. She's four foot eleven. She can't come to the UFC and fight it at straw weight without giving up some pretty serious size. So you're opening up what would be a whole other weight class. I'm guessing do you think people just hate it because it's like the men's flyweight? For some reason we just hate what's small. <laughs>
3: Oh, 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 sorry. I, I was falling asleep when you started talking about 105-pound people fighting. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it, Gumby. I, I just don't think anyone wants to see 411 people fighting. I, you know,
0: I, the WWE doesn't have a midget division anymore, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> that's that's harsh, but I think there is a lot of talent down there. I do think it, it would probably steal somebody like Michelle Watterson and make her a champ, but I, I, for one, would like to see it a little bit more. Now, I will say on our second question, which asks, what do you think is the most likely that the UFC adds Adam weight jumped way up in that. They, they did wind up being about a third of the votes with just about all the other votes going to, to 165 and 235 having almost no votes in the actual possibility of it happening. So I think it's nice that even though maybe the fans are not all gung-ho on Adam weight, they do at least understand that logistically it makes the most sense. Um, but people again, super high on junior welterweight. And just to me, that was really interesting because for me, I, I haven't been really psyched about it, but uh, clearly the fans are against me and with you on this one.
3: Well, I'll say two things just to wrap this up. I do, I will say that you know you could start an atom weight for females, 105 pounds, and you'd have a fleshed out division right away tomorrow. You could do that, whereas at 145, they've had trouble, you know, maintaining six girls on the roster at any one time that are comfortable fighting at 145. So I actually, if you want to frame it like that and say, would you rather have 105 or 145? I think 105 makes more sense for the females than having 145. And that division has just been a a total joke. So I'm, you know, if you frame it like that, if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather have Adam Weight. Uh, for females than than 145. Now, that all being said, you brought up a really good point about what you do with, like, if Gilbert Burns were to win, because I know Usman would probably have no problem fighting at 175, but yeah, maybe Burns doesn't want to. So if I could fantasy book for a second, you have so... I mean, the best fighters exist in that 155, 170 range and maybe even 175 range, Uh, and you could have so many fun matchups with that. So what if, uh, let's say, Gilbert Burns wins he could fight uh, Khabib or Gaethje, eh, the winner, in a super fight at 170, and the winner of that could then decide, because they would be the... Uh, you could basically say to that winner, where do you want to reside? You're the champion. at either 155 55
0: or 165. Yeah, I could also see, too, like, if you took the situation with Burns and Usman, no matter who won send Burns and let him do a 65 fight and then send Usman up and let him do the 75 fight. Yeah. Yeah. So let, yeah. let, let, Burns fight Masvidal for that title and let Usman fight, uh, Leon Edwards for that title. And there you go. You have, you have number one contenders who are both very deserving and you have guys who just fought for the title. One of them having just won. I mean, yeah, I, I think that that would make sense. again, it's hard for me to see the UFC tearing apart a division and making a whole bunch of people pick, but yeah, 10 pounds a piece certainly makes the most sense there.
3: Um, Agree. Agree.
0: So, you know, with it being halfway through the year
3: now, uh, we've gotten through all the UFC fights heading into June 30th when, when or when this episode will drop. Uh, And obviously there was a small thing called a pandemic that canceled a lot of fights. Uh, but it's always worth looking at, since we're such submission and grappling nerds, where we stand with our subs halfway through the year, something we keep track of, and we'll be both tweeting and Instagramming this out on our corresponding social media feeds. Uh, but Gumby, let's play a quick little game here. I want to just set the stage. There have been, in the year 2020, that's the year we're living in currently, uh, 182 fights just off the top of your head. How many do you think ended in a submission? Okay,
0: 182. Uh, give me 57.
3: <laughs> I wish. Uh, 30. 30 <laughs> okay. Fights. So, you know, around a 15% clip, which is the same as 2019. Uh, what do you think out of these 30 submissions, which submission has has been done the most? I, I'll go simple. I, I'll go I'll go rear naked choke. You are correct. sir. Yeah. And uh, out of the 30, do you have maybe just a, a wild guess you want to throw out for number for
0: for rear naked chokes? Um, yeah. 30, the, I, I'll, I'll give nine. How about nine? You're very
3: close. Twelve. So, you know, about a third ending in Rear Naked Choke. Uh, and obviously, this is a small random subset, but I got to tell you, going back the past few years, it actually, um, everything's in line. There there are really no shocks here. What do you think the second most popular sub is?
0: I'm going to go with Guillotine, but only because I've seen a bunch recently.
3: You're 100% correct. There have been six Guillotines coming in at number two. And what do you think the third most popular submission has been how about how about arm bar because i've seen a couple of those recently too you are a hundred percent correct and it's actually tied with arm triangle and that pretty much you go back um i want to say tw- i don't have the data in front of me but i'm going back to the last five years and this has just remained constant so maybe 2014 it would have been different but every year on the dot it's a rear naked choke then an arm bar and then a guillotine um and that's just the way mma has kind of played out now in the modern era you know the rear naked choke is obviously the most popular submission some people are going to snap off arm bars and then some sort of a power guillotine when someone shoots in off a failed takedown attempt but those have consistently been the top three with arm triangle right there as well don't see a lot of submissions off anyone's back anymore you'll get the rare triangle uh we have had a heel hook this year uh but you know, other than that, you would have to go back a year and a half uh, to uh, B.J. Penn tapping out to Ryan Hall at the end of 2018. Um, oh, Sirius Gaines, actually, uh, he had one last year. So there was one, but it was from a heavyweight and someone who's not even like a jiu-jitsu specialist, which made it kind of funny in 2019. But here's a funny stat for you, Gumby. Uh, Julian Arosa had a DARS. This past weekend. Can you even remember the last time you saw a Dars?
0: The last Dars choke I saw. Oof. Man, I'm only thinking of like now mentally in my head, I'm only thinking about like my favorite Dars chokes, which like, <laughs> you know, Dustin Poyer had a really good one at some point in time in his career. I know Tony Ferguson's got like half a dozen ones where people yep. are soaked in blood, and those are fun. And obviously, like we we talked to Kyle Dawkins last week. Kyle Dawkins has got five in his career, but those are Uh, not in the UFC no I I can't recall one anytime remotely recently
3: yeah so that was the. and you're 100% correct and I wouldn't have expected you to even remember the last one it was the first one in the last 18 months the last darts to take place was at UFC 232 uh, Jones Gustafsson at the end of 2018 and I don't even know this person. Maybe you do. Uh, Montel Jackson.
0: Yeah, Montel Quick Jackson. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. Montel Jackson is is a pretty fun up-and-coming prospect. It's crazy that none of them happened in 2019. Obviously not super surprising that we hadn't seen any in 2020, uh, a lot of because of the pandemic and stuff like that. I also, and correct me if I'm wrong, there have probably been a couple of anaconda chokes. It's really intriguing to me how the anaconda choke seems to have, like, become much more prevalent than the DARS choke as just like, you know, basically variations of one another. It, it's interesting that one presents itself so much more often than the other.
3: I You're a hundred percent correct. So there were uh, four anacondas in 2019 and zero DARS chokes. And I've thought about that myself too. Like why, why is that presenting itself more than, you know, the DARS? uh They're just upside down versions of each other, and honestly, each each anaconda was taken at a different and weird angle. I really have no reason. I think it's just kind of random. Maybe this will be the year of the Dars, and and Julian Arosa is just kicking it off right now. I don't know.
0: It, it's worth noting too about that Julian Arosa Dars because first of all, I, I thought he was getting beat in that fight. It's a fun comeback. I would also add the fact that he got it standing and snapped it down made it all that much more exciting to watch as a grappling nerd, too.
3: That reminded me very much of Tony Ferguson. He loves to grab him off the snapdowns.
0: Mm -hmm. Snapdown City, that's that's the catchphrase.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up for us, I'd say, this week, Gumby. Uh, You, of course, can follow us on our Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, No UFC this coming weekend, but we'll still have some interesting content there. We'll get these substats out to you for the stat nerds. Gumby, why don't you wrap this bad boy up, get us out of here, take us home.
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week because we couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without Flow Combat, the mothership, or our sponsors, Maroon Social and Battle Clan Gear. We also want to remind you guys to check us out on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. We've got all kinds of cool stuff going on over there, as well as check us out on our new Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. We're just starting to get things going over there as well, so follow along so that you can be on the ground floor. Now I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, he was Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you next week.